Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest version of uh, Tales, Tales from Outer Space, where I take an HFY story from somewhere around the internet and read it aloud for your enjoyment. All the relevant links are down below. Like, subscribe, and all that YouTube comf to help this video and channel grow. Anyways, as always, I hope that you enjoy. I would just like to thank the following tier 5 patrons and channel members for supporting the channel. Fallen Angel. Buzz Kennington, Data Magnet, and Bob the Dragon. Thank you again, and now on to the story. Story Double One Contingency Plan, written by Echoing Cascade. Lasha was running to her room. She was running for her life. She was running from a nightmare. She had known that this was a possibility since she was a youngling. She had had many discussions with a matriarch who reassured her that it would probably never ever happen again in her lifetime. Yet here she was, the station's alarms were blaring and the scourge were on her trail. She managed to make it to her room, panting, exhausted, but alive. Then she heard noises from her roommate's bed. Oh gods! No! If Laura was one of them, she was very, very... Death Wilder was strong enough to tear her limb from limb in normal circumstances, and if she was infested, Lesha pushed that thought out of her mind. She wasn't it yet. She mustered her courage and asked her roommate a simple question. Lesha, are you okay, Laura? Laura was barely awake at that moment. She had heard some sort of alarm. At least she guessed it was an alarm. Galactic standards for auditory cues were low enough that most humans could sleep through the fire drills. Laura looked at her panicked roommate. She was panting hard and looked like she had just seen a ghost. She noticed for the first time that the lights had turned ever so slightly blue. Laura, yes, what's with the anemic light show and slightly annoying alarm? Laura thought that it was either the galaxy's least enthusiastic rave or something was wrong. Blusha let out a sigh. The death wilder was not infested. She sagged with relief and began to sob. Laura was taken aback. Her roommate was a scodge, bipedal, skinny, shorter than the average human, and vaguely marsupial. She was also tough as nails. She had joined the academy at the same time as her. While Laura was going to join the long-range recon, Blusha was going to work in logistics. She still had to complete basic training, though. Laura remembered that Lashaw had broken a leg and walked herself to the infirmary. With no help, all so much as a grimace. This is the same Lashaw that was crying in a heap like a lost child. Laura, what the hell's going on? What's with the alarm? How can I help? Lashaw willed herself to calm through meditation. If the human opened the door, she would doom them both. Lesha, it's the scourge. They're inside the station. We are dead. Laura paused. The statement was completely sincere and left no room for negotiations. She believed that they were already dead and nothing would change that. That being said, she didn't plan to go down without a fight. So Laura reached for her standard combat kit under her bed. Lesha, that won't work. They don't really have a nervous system that we can short-circuit with stun weapons, even at max setting. 
Laura shrugged and reached for a different box. This one contrasted the grey, featureless one that contained her combat gear. This one was all black and had a white human skull and bones. She pulled what Lasha looked like one of the human slug throwers and strapped it to her hip, alongside a dagger that would look more like a sword in her hands. Laura, I'm guessing they're pirates or something like that. Lasha shook her head. The scourge was an old shame of the consortium. They had started a war of annihilation, and when it came clear that they would lose, they released a virus that would ensure that no one would win. Through the sacrifice of countless colonies and billions of lives, they had stopped the scourge virus. But it would surface now and then, through accidents, or the odd doomsday cult. Le Shah spoke with an almost robotic voice now. She had completely dissociated herself with her feelings in order to appear calm. Le Shah, no, they are infected, and those that bite turn into more of them, turn into monsters. Laura then did something that took Le Shah by surprise. She smiled. Laura, really? She then pulled another box from under her bed. It was red and had what looked like an even older slug thrower painted on it with a sharp piece of wood. Laura, let me guess, they drink blood, fly, and can charm sentience by looking them in the eyes. Lesha, what? No, why would... Laura interrupted her. Laura, okay, so they turn into feral creatures, via silver, and howl at the moon. Lesha was looking like a normal soft now, more out of confusion than being genuinely calm. Lasha, of course not, wait. Is that a thing in your world? Laura put the box back under her bed with a pout. Laura, not really. So, what is the scourge then? Lasha didn't want to recount what they were up against. What would ultimately kill them? But Laura had the right to know. Lasha, the infected die eventually, but they, uh, they don't stay dead. They get up and try to eat the living. Their saliva carries the virus. They're an old bioweapon from a long gone race. What Lashan saw next, she would never forget to the day she died. Her seemingly sane roommate grabbed a green box from under her bed with a large yellow Z on it and skipped to the bathroom, saying the word that didn't translate. Zombies. Laura emerged from the bathroom wearing a skin-tight black suit and a grin. Laura spun in place to show off her gear. Laura, like it, it's made of smart fabric, becomes bite-proof when exposed to pressure that could break human skin. I've seen it tested. You would need an industrial cutter to get through it. Laura then put a uniform on top of it, strapped the slug thrower back onto her hip, but instead of the dagger, she now had a large, curved forward blade, the length of a leg. Laura, how many? Lesha was confused, but quickly regained her wits. Lesha, I ran past four or six on the way here. You're not thinking of finding them, Laura's smile faded from her face as she cut her off. Laura, serious question time. Laura then got very close to Lesha's face. Laura... Do they run, or do they shamble? Lisha, how could they run? Did you not hear me? They're dead. You can't fight them. They... 
Laura stopped her by drawing her side arm and loading a magazine. Laura, just shoot him in the head. Lisha looked at the blade Laura was inspecting. She had no doubt that it could go through the cranium of any sentient on the station, and from what she knew of human weapons, so could her gun. Lisha, you're going out there, aren't you? Laura was all smiles again. Uh, yep. Before leaving, she turned to Lisha. She looked like a mess again. Laura then removed the gun from her hip and handed it and the belt with the extra magazine to her. Laura. It's not that much different from a pulse rifle, just with a bit more kick. I'm sure you'll figure it out. Lock the door behind me. Uh, do you see any infected I know out there? Lisha. Only moan. Laura. Oh. Laura shrugged. Laura. Never liked her. After which, she opened the door and rushed outside. General Vedras was at a loss for words. A single human cadet had cleared an entire station from scourge infection, and she only asked for a single accolade as a reward. General Vedras had never had to hand the medal that read, Knife only, no damage, before in his life. But it would not be the last time. End of story. Story number two. We own the day. Written by Lords of Jupe. Such a small thing, that fragile world. The Terrans founded a colony there and said nothing as we applied tax after tax, even raiding their shipping lanes. All they said was, one night we will remember, and carried on with the business of living, as they say. If they thought we feared darkness, they were wrong. Our history as daytime predators is well known, as every species beneath us on the galactic food chain knew all too well, and ready to their profit. We were fools. Easy pickings. Every scavenging and pirate faction said those words about the Terrans. Barely armored ships, scarcely armed troops, rarely present patrols, negligible perimeter scanning technologies and we believed everything that we were told. They practically loaded those containers into our ship holds and smiled so brightly. Those infuriating smiles. You could punch him in the face until it was bloodied, and that would be all that they did in reply. They rarely ever fought back, and if they did, it was a token effort. They'd crawl away, find a terminal to communicate with their people, and see those strange words. One night we will remember. Every reputable defense contracting service would routinely take them on as clients, and often to the detriment of the Terrans' financial well-being. They never run out of money, those Terrans. It was a deny who said, and these words may be written in the largest font in the vastest tomb of what all worlds acknowledge as understatements. The only thing they have more of than patience are anger and resolve. Those peaceful morons. It did not make sense. Deny a race and culture of scavengers, looters, and for hire thugs. And they have those nearly kind words to say about one's favorite victim. We racked our brains and could not make sense of it. The deny are ruthless and engaging tactics which exceed cutthroat in the same way that a fusion missile exceeds the closed first. We 
were fools. Our home world was a trade-up, all space lanes leading to it, providing our vessels with a singular destination for incoming fees, taxes, and assorted seized goods. We thought so little of that nearly derelict ship filled with empty decanters of coolants and technical manuals about cryogenic preservation. That and all of those empty crates were small arms and explosives. We thought nothing. Then we heard the seismic activity in our polar regions of our homeworld. A volcano, a thousand years silent, suddenly rousing, spitting out ash and smoke and debris, clotting the seas with discharges of lava, fouling sonar capabilities in ways we never thought of, and as we discovered, could counteract. They'd smuggled themselves on our world by hiding in the prizes they handed over so willingly. Then our luxury liners began to vanish. Then the seaside resorts of the idle rich. Then the military units who worked those seas. And then they began to sing to us. Every time the growing night fell, using stolen radios and hostage transmitters. That's all that they do now. They've clogged the sky so thick that we can't risk spacecraft through our own atmosphere. Firing a laser or ion cannon into the ash layer just makes it harder, and the situation more dire. Which is why we know they're doing it so often. For them, they knew that it was a one-way trip. This does not seem to bother them in the slightest. If anything, they become meaner as the days go on, such as they do. Our nights were once scant half-cycle longer. Now, they're almost all of it. We cannot see either of our moons. We can hear the hollow words of our allies as they witness us being torn apart in the growing dark. And we can hear the humans singing to us as they finish what they promised. One night we will remember. That night is forever. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.